0: Warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is the Andrew Clavin Show.
1: <laughs> All
0: right, we are back, laughing our way through the Charnel House <laughs> history. Let's get to today's episode: Alex Jones Unchained. going to talk about uh, Tucker Carlson, his new venture, and Alex Jones, and Harvard and suicide. But beyond all that, we're going to talk about what I think is the story of the age. What does your brain look like on media? Because we are in an information crisis, uh, as I've been telling you for years, that is brought on by the internet, this new thing among us. And it's been exasperated by the rise of the smartphone, which has meant that the line between our life and our life online has been Erased. We are online constantly. The media now surrounds us like an atmosphere. No one is immune uh, this, to this, including us, and it affects everybody's mind left and right. And here's the thing. I want to say this up front. Uh, on this show, on this little island, we consider ourselves to be the light of the world And the salt of the earth. We consider ourselves to be the people who watch after ourselves without regard to what's happening outside us. We stay inside ourselves and we try to become what we were made to be. And so we can't let our light be hidden or our salt lose its flavor. And so we have to examine ourselves and look at what is happening to us because of this incredible exclo- explosion of media and because of this battleground uh, where we are fighting over who controls the flow of information. Obviously, this is a huge topic. I can only cover the surface of it today, but it matters at every level, intellectual, personal, and spiritual. So let's begin by talking about Tucker Carlson and Alex Jones. The holiday season is rapidly approaching. While you're writing your Christmas list, remember that we are now in the season of giving, and if you're not sure what to give, I will tell you, give the gift of life through my show's partnership with Preborn. Preborn is an organization that has rescued over 270,000 babies from abortion by offering abortion-minded women free ultrasounds. Once these women meet their babies for the first time and hear that heartbeat, the child's chance at life is doubled. Take a look at this client's testimonial.
2: When I found out I was pregnant, I was looking at that Dollar Tree pregnancy test and I was absolutely terrified. I encountered a lot of pressure from some people that were telling me to get an abortion. I had a dream before I had my sonogram that I was pregnant with a boy, so it was early. And, um, but in my dream, I just heard a voice say, Eli. And then when I came to the pregnancy center and I saw my baby on the sonogram picture, he had a little halo around his head. And I heard his heartbeat. And I thought, I don't know why you picked me. (laughs) But I'm terrified But God make a way. It really hit home that, oh my gosh, there's a miracle literally growing inside of my womb. I think if I decided to terminate the pregnancy, my life would have been a lot smaller than it is today, literally and figuratively. Because walking in faith to continue the pregnancy, despite all odds, has really shown me that, that God is real. I'm so grateful for the people and the donors that didn't pass judgment and decided to give so that they can give hope and life. It's
0: inspired me to dream big, to do big. For just $28, you can save a life by sponsoring a mother's ultrasound. Preborn also supports mothers by providing them with diapers, car seats, counseling, and more. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics rescues 200 babies as they compete head-to-head with the abortion giants. And now, through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled. Your donation offer is doubled and it doubles the blessing. Now is the time to put your year-end write-offs to work. Have your donation matched today by dialing pound 250 and saying the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com slash Andrew. That's preborn.com slash Andrew. Chapter one, is Tucker a sucker? All right, so Tucker Carlson has announced that he has started his own media company, the Tucker Carlson Network. It's a video subscription service. This is enormous news because he's taking on not just the powerhouse of Fox News who fired him, he's taking on all the establishment media. Uh, he's joining with the Daily Wire, with Megan Kelly, with Glenn Beck as powerful voices uh, standing up to this monopoly that the left has had on information so long, and he's got the help and the assistance of Elon Musk over at X, Uh, and, you know, this has been an amazing—the Elon Musk story has been an amazing story in itself because just by virtue of allowing alternative voices to speak, not just Tucker, but all the people who disagree with the regime, he—Elon Musk, once the hero of the left because he made electric cars, has now come under attack— uh, investigation by virtually every government agency. So they're actually sh- telling us who they are, what they're willing to do. Uh, Tesla is now recalling more than two million vehicles over government contentions that the autopilot uh, system can be misused by drivers. Uh, you know, I'm not saying whether that's a good recall or a bad recall. I'm just saying all of a sudden, everything Tucker does, every movie he makes is under investigation. And it's just because he allows people to disagree. And that tells you that this battleground that Tucker Carlson is now entering, that The Daily Wire has entered, uh, that several right-wing, you know, Newsmax and OAN, but also individuals like Megan and Glenn have entered. This is the battleground. This is the battleground that is going to decide the future of this country and maybe in some ways the future of the world. And so before I get to Tucker, I just want to take a look at where that battleground stands by showing you just an amazing piece of video, an amazing video clip. This is uh, obviously presidential candidate, Republican presidential candidate, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy on a CNN town hall with Abby Phillips. And Abby Phillips asks a completely bogus question, a completely absurd question, where she tries to tie Vivek Ramaswamy to what she calls a January 6th rioter. And she makes this this tortuous thing where she tries to connect him to this January 6th guy, which has no validity whatsoever. And after this long, bogus question, here is Vivek trying to
3: respond. The reality is this. We do have a government, first of all, we have to acknowledge that has lied to us systematically over the last several years about the origin of COVID-19, about the Hunter Biden laptop that we were told was false by 51 CIA experts and otherwise before we now know that it was true. You can go straight down the list, the Trump-Russia disinformation collusion hoax, all of it. Now we come to January 6th. The reality is we know that there were federal law enforcement agents in that field. We don't know how many.
1: I think it's just shameful. If, if it. I may finish, just to answer well, let me this, just, is, this is really I, I'm gonna, important. I'm going to go ahead and interrupt you here because, because you're saying, saying that there were, this that I know that there this, were federal we agents. You should be able to talk about this. You're saying that there were federal this is, agents This is important to crowd. talk about. <laughs> this, you this are saying important. there were federal agents in the crowd on, on, yes. on January 6th. Yep. There is no evidence that there were federal agents in the crowd on January so, 6th. So-
0: So you heard the audience start to applaud when Vivek said, this is important. I know the establishment, meaning you, CNN, don't like this, but this is important. The audience starts to applaud. Essentially, what Abby is doing is she is throwing her body between the audience and the information, the point of view, let's call it, coming out of Vivek's mouth. They did this All through the Trump administration, whenever Trump would shatter the narrative, would bluntly state that the narrative was false, and oftentimes he was right, they would start shouting him down. They were not doing the job. I mean, American journalists are, are not irrelevant. They're worse than irrelevant. They are actual obstacles to American journalism. They shout down people who go against the narrative. And as we all know, they have frequently been wrong, and the people going against the narrative were right. This word evidence, which they're using to denigrate the now official uh, um, impeachment inquiry about Joe Biden and whether he was taking money from Hunter Biden. They keep saying there was no evidence. There's no evidence. What they mean is there's no proof. Evidence is are hints that something might happen if your footprint appears outside a murder scene. That's evidence that you were there, and it might ultimately come together with other evidence to form proof that you committed the murder. That's why you have trials. That's why you have uh, votes and elections. You decide whether the evidence, whether there's enough evidence to constitute proof. But we have seen FBI Director Christopher Wray dodging questions about how many FBI agents were in the January 6th crowd. Here he is, this is about four months ago, talking to Congressman Andy Biggs.
3: It has been reported that more than 40 FBI personnel agents or contractors were in the crowd on January 6th. Is that number accurate?
1: Uh, I don't know if that number is accurate.
0: <laughs> he doesn't say they weren't there. That's evidence. I mean, it may not be proof. I'm not saying there's proof. We don't, maybe maybe Vivek was overstating when he said we know they were there, but we kind of know they were there. I mean, there were very, uh, very good reasons to believe they were there. So Abby is obfuscating. She's lying. She's throwing her body between a man giving information that goes against the narrative. And they have been doing this for a long time. And and of course she's obscuring the greater point that Vivek uh, made, which is that we've been lied to and lied to and lied to. Here's a list. Of hoaxes from Scott Adams that he just he just put out a list. I'm just gonna read them to you. Uh Russia collusion hoax, steel dossier hooker story, Russia paying bounties on US soldiers in Afghanistan. Trump called neo-Nazis fine people. He didn't, he specifically said he was not referring to the neo-Nazis. Trump suggested drinking or injecting bleach to fight COVID. Trump overfed koi fish in Japan. Trump cleared protesters with tear gas for a Bible photo op. Hunter's laptop was Russian disinformation. Elections were fair because no court found major fraud. January 6th was an insurrection to overthrow the government. Trump tried to grab the steering wheel of the beast. Border patrol agents whipped illegal border crossers. Trump stored nuclear secrets at Mar-a-Lago governor Whitmer kidnapping plot was not incited by the federal government, which it was. Trump mocked a reporter's disability. Government spending subsidizes uh, green products and reduces inflation. Trump invited Nick Fuentes to dinner at uh, Mar-a-Lago. Twittergate was a dud. We learned nothing new or worrisome. Twitter doesn't shadow ban. Twitter hate speech got worse under Musk. That's a long list. All of them were not just spread by the media, they were defended by the media and the opposition, by which I mean the people trying to speak the truth, were banned or shouted down, just like Abby Phillips did to Vivek Ramaswamy there. Remember, this is after years you know, of worrying about the safety of mail-in ballots, suddenly the mail-in COVID election where Biden beat Trump, suddenly it was the cleanest, most honest election in human history. This is in the New York Times. were saying, oh, no. And you could get thrown off YouTube and Twitter and demonetized and Facebook and have your livelihood threatened if you dare to suggest that maybe there was something wrong with this chaotic election. And now there's a Rasmussen poll of likely U.S. voters who voted by absentee or mail-in ballot in the 2020 election, this is the voters being polled, say they filled out a ballot in part or in full on behalf of a friend or family member, such as a spouse or child, which is illegal. 30% of those surveyed said they voted by absentee or mail-in ballot in the 2020 election, and 17% of mail-in voters say that in the 2020 election they cast a ballot in a state where they were no longer a permanent resident. So their vote Was illegitimate. So 17% of 30%, that's millions of votes. We don't know. I mean, these are people who are both Democrats and Republicans, and they divided equally along those lines. In other words, just as many Democrats as Republicans cast illegitimate votes, but more Democrats voted than by mail than Republicans did. And a lot of the people who committed more illegal acts were minorities, which obviously, who usually support Democrats. So, you know, it's not proof, again, it's not proof that the election was stolen by illegal votes, but it is evidence that it was. And so we know that that is, that that evidence exists and it was not just covered up. Again, it was silenced. Okay. It was silenced. So, The very least we can say, the very least is that CNN, which participated in every single one of these hoaxes and lies, has no business telling a legitimate presidential candidate like Vivek what evidence exists or not, and certainly has no business shutting him down. In fact, you know what? I just want to play one more thing just for the laughs, for a a little bit of comic relief. Here is a a, a supercut of from Grabian, our friends of Grabian, of people making predictions about what will happen if Trump gets reelected.
3: Canada, we can't go to Canada because eventually Canada will become annexed to America and shoot visitors to the White House. Yeah, that means he can shoot the first lady.
2: We're going to see violence the likes of which we didn't even see on January 6th.
3: Make it illegal to run against him, to throw his opponents in jail, to shut down the media. He will make himself into the Fuhrer, and he will make everybody raise their hand and salute him. Using martial law against the American people. Terminate the Constitution. Rewrite the Constitution. Create mass internment camps.
1: Throw everyone into Gitmo. Might be sent to jail, or their rights might be suppressed, especially minority groups in society. You might have any number of things happen to you and your family.
0: These people, now a lot of those I have to admit were MSNBC, but some of them were CNN as well. If that's what journalism is, and that is what journalism is, these people have no business, no business setting any narrative at all. In fact, I have a suggestion. There should be no journalists have no business at political debates. Why on earth should these people, the enemy of us, the rest of the people, why on earth should these people set what political candidates can talk about? or should talk about, or what the people are thinking about. They don't represent us. We didn't elect them. They represent their corporations. They represent their private interests. Why shouldn't two candidates or three candidates simply set the rules by which they're going to speak to one another, follow those rules, and talk about whatever they want to talk about? You know, I'm not saying that every single moderator has done a bad job. I thought Megyn Kelly did a good job. But why should there be moderators? Lincoln-Douglas didn't have them. Why shouldn't they just have people who enforce the rules? I do not understand why general- journalists have anything to say to us, anything to say to us about what the subject matters should be. Okay, that's the state of play. That's the state of play in the mainstream, and they're still more powerful than rebel media like the Daily Wire and Megan and now uh, Tucker. This means that people like us are bearing a huge burden. They're they are speaking for and to the people in the CNN town hall audience who applauded when Vivek said, "When Vivek said, this is important. I know it makes you uncomfortable, but we have to talk about this. The burden on us is tremendous. So who do we have to be? Never mind who they are. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. Who do we have to be in in challenging this narrative machine, this dishonest narrative machine that doesn't just spread lies, it suppresses the truth. And I'm talking about ABC, NBC, CBS, the Washington Post, the New York Times, all of them have done this, all of them, especially when it comes to Donald Trump. So as a fan of Tucker Carlson, as as a supporter of Tucker Carlson, as an admirer of Tucker Carlson, as a person who wants Tucker Carlson to succeed at every level, even if it means competition for the Daily Wire, which it will, but that's fine. It'll make us better, make him better. I have to yell at him. (laughs) I have to criticize him. Ever since he left Fox, he has not been on the game he needs to be on. He has interviewed Donald Trump without asking him a single challenging question over the course of more than an hour. Compare him to Megyn Kelly, who really gave it to Trump. She's, you know, she's got that sweet uh, tone. She's very uh, polite. But still, she went after Trump and challenged him on the things that he was saying. Tucker did not challenge him once. He interviewed Andrew Tate without challenging Tate's false assertions that he'd never pimped women or abused women. He has accepted third-hand information on aliens and on CIA participation in the Kennedy assassination as if it were gospel truth. He can't do that. We need him to elevate his game because otherwise he's just the left on the right. So Tucker had an interview with Alex Jones, who has been restored to X. And let me say, I'm on record at the time when Alex Jones was thrown off every site, he was canceled everywhere. I oppose that, even though I'm not a fan of Alex Jones's. I'm glad he's back. He should not be deplatformed. He should not be censored. So bring him on, interview
1: him. That's fine. But listen to the way Tucker introduced him. this cut three. Alex Jones is the single most censored man in all American history. He was the first media figure in our history to be completely erased in one day, deplatformed. Alex Jones was deplatformed before it was a common term and not just deplatformed, sued, attacked. They attempted to criminally charge him. What did Alex Jones do wrong? Alex Jones didn't rape anybody. He didn't loot Macy's. He didn't burn a police station. He didn't invent a fake cryptocurrency and loot pension funds. He didn't start a pointless war that made this country poorer and more disorganized. He didn't open the Southern border. No, Alex Jones had opinions that deeply rattled the people who run America.
0: Okay. So yes, but also no, right? Alex Jones didn't do all those things that our government did and that people in authority did and that people have not been, um, have not paid the price for. You know, people haven't paid the price for the George Floyd riots. Derek Chauvin has not gotten the retrial that I believe he deserves. The the people who, uh, you know, started all the 20 years of war in Afghanistan and Iraq have not really had to renounce what they did. You know, he's absolutely right about all of that. But Alex Jones did do things that were wrong. He didn't just disagree with the narrative. He got sued because he accused innocent parents of faking the murder of their little children after the Sandy Hook school shooting in 2012. He said they were crisis actors. He said this didn't happen. It was just a way of taking our guns away. That's an incredibly heartless thing to do. I mean, if you don't have the goods, if you don't have the proof, if you don't have the evidence to the point of proof, what's going on in your head when you do something like that? Alex Jones is not a hero for doing that. Alex Jones deserved to be sued for doing that. And was was he under the gun because he was standing up against the regime? Well, maybe, maybe. But the guy's an entertainer, essentially, who uses these elaborate conspiracy theories and these elaborate charges and this overspoken, uh, overdone way of talking. And he, he did something that's insanely cruel and wrong. He's not a hero. To 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 bring him back and let him speak is one thing. It's the right thing. To rehabilitate him, to not question him, to not uh, talk about the things he did is something entirely different. So before we elevate Alex Jones, let's take a closer look, too, at who he is. (music) Chapter 2, Has Jones Made His Bones? I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying here. The left, the people who run ABC, NBC, CBS, The New York Times, CNN, Washington Post, these people have committed acts of villainy. They are working to take control of the information flow, which the internet has made not just pervasive, but more democratic. It means that more people can speak. We need right-wing, or at least traditionalist, or at least patriotic, pro-American, pro-founding media to speak back to them. But we need them to be good at what they do. They have to be able to gather information. The New York Times is is an absolute garbage paper at this point. It's a a paper just that bubbles up with dishonesty and lies. But they have tremendous reporting power, tremendous reporting power. So if you're going to report a story on the right, you've got to send some good reporters to get that story. If you are just throwing back your suspicions of people, if you're just throwing back anecdotes that you've gotten off, um, you know, X, that's not going to do the trick. That is not going to do the trick, and especially if you're saying elaborately conceived and contrived literal conspiracy theories, you're going to essentially... Uh, disgrace the voices that have to fight these bad guys. These are bad guys, and, and we cannot beat them by being them. It's just not the way it's going it's to work. If you are the light of the world, if you're the salt of the earth, you can't hide that light. You can't lose that flavor. I saw a lot of people when Tucker interviewed Jones on, on X, other places going, oh, Jones is a prophet. Jones was right. Jones got it Right. Tucker played this cut of Jones making prophecies as if it were just a, a remarkable, remarkable act of you know, prescience. How could he have possibly seen with such notris, Notre Dame-like accuracy into the future?
3: By the middle of September that the new policy is being written, you will all have to wear a mask again and... So will airport employees. It's happening. Mass mandates are
1: officially back.
3: We know the Joint Chiefs of Staff wanted to blow up airliners, Baltimore Sun. Or if you let some terrorist group do it, like the World Trade Center, we know who to blame. And if there was an outside threat like a bin Laden, who was a known CIA asset in the 80s.
1: This group and its leader, a person named Osama
3: bin Laden, he's the boogeyman they need. We're looking at a giant war in February right now. I predict the Russians are going to roll in. They're already there. They're going to roll in. With attacks
1: across Ukraine, which is the size of Texas,
3: it really was the Iraqis. That's just because they're getting ready to invade Iraq. And what a beautiful setup! Uh,
1: those 9/11 clips are crazy. I'm actually bothered by the precision of them. I'm not accusing you of being behind
0: 9/11. What precision? I mean, first of all, a lot of people knew. That, a lot of people knew that they were coming back to attack the World Trade Center because they said they were. Many people had stipulated and guessed that they would use, uh, that they could use. Uh, jet planes as bombs. All right, but even if I grant him that, what he's saying there is that the Joint Chiefs of Staff were using Osama bin Laden to accomplish their goals. And the idea, I presume, is that 9-11 was an inside job so that George W. Bush could pass the Patriot Act and enslave us all and, and expand government. Government has a tendency to expand but do, I mean, do you think that is that what you think that George W. Bush slaughtered three, had allowed three thousand people to be slaughtered so he could pass this law? I mean, what proof have you got? What ev- even evidence? Never mind proof. What evidence have you got that that is what happened? Osama bin Laden. He calls him a CIA um, uh, asset, but we don't we don't know that during the war the Soviet war in Afghanistan when we were essentially financing the mujahideen it is possible that some of the people that we were financing were also bad guys were also al Qaeda it was a it was a strange situation that we were in to defend trying to defeat the Soviets in Afghanistan, and it did help defeat the Soviets, just like we were defeated in Afghanistan, just like every empire is defeated in Afghanistan. But to put that all together into a story that the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and I assume the president, with the president's knowledge, allowed 3,000 innocent people to be murdered so that they could pass a law. I mean, listen, I'm I'm sorry, but you got to bring real evidence to the table before you say that, because that's absurd. It's it's as absurd as saying that parents faked their children's deaths so they could pass anti-gun legislation. I mean, let alone the fact that he produced, he says they put that, they strung that thing together as if, in fact, the CDC had returned mask mandates in September, which they haven't, although God knows they, they and the media are trying to scare the daylights out of us all the time. Now there's going to be, you know, a triple, you know, COVID attack or whatever it is. But, but, you know, I, No one has been more critical of the mishandling of COVID, the oppressiveness of local governments than I have been. Nobody has uh, attacked this more. But this idea that somehow they're spreading these diseases so they can do this stuff, I, I, I don't buy it, but no one should buy it without evidence. Like, we're not talking about proof now. We're talking about some kind of evidence. And Tucker basically elevates this stuff and says, wow, isn't it amazing that you did this? I mean, it's just, it, it's not amazing. It is not amazing. You know, Jones... Um, made all kinds of predictions. He, said, predictions. he said the government was going to use the weather to attack United States citizens. Uh, he has uh, said that the Illuminati, this secret group, uh, is meeting at the Bohemian Grove. I know people who belong to the Bo- Bohemian Grove. I, you know, I mean, it's like the Bohemian Grove is this kind of uh, get-together of, of powerful people on both sides of the aisle and all this stuff. You know, and, and Alex Jones is saying, oh, this is the secret, you know, Illuminati is taking over the world. If you make scattershot predictions, Ben and I joke about this all the time. If you make scattershot predictions, you're going to hit some accuracy points. You're going to have a Venn diagram that eventually sort of intersects with real things that are that are going on and then people are going to say, "Oh, amazing, amazing." But no, no. You know, I mean, like I, you know, Henry Olsen who we interviewed uh last week came very close to predicting Trump's victory, but because Henry Olson is an honest guy. He knows he can't predict the future. Nobody can predict the future. But that made him look like Nostradamus for a year. He's a great poll watcher. I'm not saying he's not, but I'm just saying, you know, nobody predicts the future. And This is this kind of stuff where you're just spewing out elaborate conspiracies every now and again. You're going to hit him close to the nose. But I don't even think he's done that. So, yeah, let him speak. But to lift him up to the level of a prophet, I mean, here he is. Here he is going after Brian Stelter. Now, I, I love this. This is kind of a famous clip. I love this clip because I I go after Brian Stelter. Brian Stelter is a buffoon. I always call him Miss Brian Stelter because he missed a deadline, so he could go to bed and have a good cry uh, during COVID. And I pointed out that scientifically you actually cannot accomplish that if you have testicles that's just not something that happens so i've just assume that he is in fact uh has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that a man can become a woman okay and he he goes after all right-wing media uh he's a he's a jerk you know <laughs> so this is this is alex jones talking about brian stelter
3: hell on earth He wants to run your life. He wants to control every aspect of your life because he knows he is a cowardly, degenerate sack of anti-human trash. I pledge before my heavenly Father that I, 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 I that I will resist them every way I can. These people are the literal demon spawn of the pit of hell. Look at him and you know what he is better than you if you keep letting him run your life. He runs your kids, he runs the schools, he runs the banks. this guy, this spirit, this smiling leering devil that thinks you can't see what he is. He is your enemy period. All the narcissistic devil-worshipping filth. I see you, enemy. I see you, enemy. 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 You are my enemy. (laughs) And
0: it cuts back to Tucker. And Tucker says, you're right to take him seriously, because if he had absolute power, he would wipe us all out. Well, Okay, maybe I don't. <laughs> but but Brian Stelter has fallen just a, just a hair a, short of having absolute power. He's out of work. I mean, <laughs> he's not doing anything. Why should a man as smart as beloved as trusted as Tucker Carlson elevate this kind of nonsense from you know about Brian Stelter, this out of work hack who can't get arrested, let alone destroy anybody? I don't. I don't get it. It's too important. The, the bad guys are too bad. They really, you know. Here, here's a thing where Jones talks about the new world order. It's cut six.
3: Yes, there have been oligarchies throughout history, and yes, today in two thousand and two, there is a tyrannical organization calling itself the new world order, pushing for worldwide government, a cashless society, open borders, total and complete tyranny. And by creating open borders where there's no national sovereignty and only global bodies that control all the resources, by centralizing and socializing health care, the state becomes God, basically, when it comes to your health.
0: And then, you know, and sure, I'm going like, yeah, these people do exist and they're scary and they have to be opposed. You know, they have to be they're not all powerful. They're not, you know, they're above the Brian Stelter level of having no power, uh, but they're way below the, uh, you know, I don't know, plenty of senators have more power than these guys. They're, they're bad. I'm, I'm not saying. But then he goes on to say they're releasing diseases into the air. And I don't know. You know, again, don't you have to have some evidence of that? Not proof. Don't you have to have some evidence that that's what's going on? Listen, I, 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 you know, I know what uh, some of you are thinking. You're thinking, you know, they lie. They hoax. They have so much more power than we do, and they do. I mean, still, to this day, the networks still have more power than, you know, Fox or Daily Wire or anything like that. We are fighting to be heard. We have to fight. If we didn't have Elon Musk, where would we go on social media? Seriously, if all you have to do is say, a man can't become a woman, the simple scientific truth, and you can lose your spot on YouTube. You can be demonetized. All of these places are actually out there, not just lying, but also obstructing the truth. I get it. They have power, but we only have one power that matches theirs. It's that we're better than they are. It's that we'll tell the truth. If you have to listen to a right-wing conspiracy or a left-wing conspiracy, who cares which one you're listening to? But if we look for the truth, if we search for the truth, if we make sure we have some reporting power, if we make sure we get some information, then we become the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and then people will flock to us. We have a chance. This is a real thing. This is a real thing. I know these are. this is kind of a dark days and all this stuff, and it's hard to see where we're going. But we're really on the upside of this fight because we've been honest, because we've gotten so many things right, because so many of the things that were called conspiracy theories turned out to be true, we have got a chance to take back the narrative and to take back the power of information, which is what the battle is all about. Tucker could be a huge, huge power to that because he's appealing, he's talented, he's intelligent, he's well-read, he's got good staff. He He can be a major, major player here, this is not the way. It's not going to work. And if it's, just playing off, if it's just playing off anger, if it's just going for the people who feel they've been lied to and therefore there's some massive secret conspiracy going on, if it's just for the reactionaries, what does it profit us? What does it profit us to win those clicks if we lose the one power we have, which is the truth? Are you a few years or, as in my case, centuries out of school and wondering, what did I even learn and what was the point You might even be thinking, I don't have the time to learn anything new. If that's you, you're not alone, and it's not too late. Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses. Learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Republic, with the History of the Ancient Christian Church, with Hillsdale College's online courses. If you're not sure where to start, check out American Citizenship and Its Decline with Victor Davis Hanson. In this eight-lecture course, Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats, it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. Start your free course on American citizenship and its decline with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go to hillsdale.org. E-D-U slash claven to enroll. There's no cost and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash Clavin to enroll. Hillsdale.edu slash Clavin. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how do you spell E-D-U? It's K-L-A-V-A-N.
3: There are no easy things.
0: Chapter three, That's So Gay. So I don't want to just go on attacking people that I like, like Tucker, and even people who are vaguely on our side, like Alex Jones, I want to remember, go back to where I began, which is pointing out that the forces arrayed against us are truly bad. They're truly bad, which is one of the reasons this is so important to me that we get this right as we fight back. Uh, You may think that we can fight back with our lies being just as big as theirs, but we're not going to win that way. We will lose. And so I want to go back to where I started, to Claudine Gay and Harvard University, because not only are they a genuine threat by poisoning the minds, they're they're inculcating ignorance in the young and poisoning their minds and teaching them this hateful ideology of DEI and wokeness and anti-whiteness and and anti-racism and all these really, really hateful ideologies that are going to come to fruition as these kids get out of their prestigious colleges and get prestigious jobs. So all of this is true. But another thing we can't do is we can't fall for their arguments that somehow this is about free speech, that somehow, you know, they are defending free speech because that is baloney. The idea that people can shout for the death of the Jews, college students can shout for the death of the Jews, the extermination of the Jews, and not get Ex, um, expelled is ridiculous. And it's the way I know it's not about free speech is because of all the things that Claudine Gay and Harvard have done. Sora Bamari reports that two days after Claudine Gay claimed that genocidal rhetoric might be protected speech at Harvard, because that's how committed she is to free speech, her university canceled an event featuring a congressman because he had mocked Harvard cancel culture. The New York Post wanted to investigate Chris Rufo's charges of plagiarism, so they contacted Harvard about them. And in response, Harvard sent a Harvard, a defamation lawyer, an obvious attempt to intimidate the New York Post into silence. Uh, according to a mandatory, I'm just giving you examples, according to a mandatory Title IX training session for all undergraduate students, which the Washington Free Beacon obtained and reviewed. The online training says the beacon, the online training which all undergraduates were required to complete in order to enroll in courses. Includes a power and control wheel to help students identify harmful conduct. Outside the wheel are attitudes that contribute, quote, contribute to an environment that perpetuates violence, which includes sizism and fat phobia and cis heterosexism, racism, transphobia, ageism, and ableism. Cis heterosexism is normalcy. It's, it's people, men who like women, women who like men. It's normalcy. In an interview with the Washington Examiner, Jay Green, a senior race, Research fellow in education policy at the Conservative Heritage Foundation explained that during Gay's tenure as dean of the Harvard Faculty of Arts and Sciences, sciences the now president of Harvard had orchestrated the cancellation of two black professors. One I mentioned in the opening, Roland Fryer. Another was Ronald Sullivan. Uh, and I said Fryer because he said that black people were no more likely to be shot by police than white people, which just happens to be the truth. And um, and Ronald Sullivan because he joined the legal team defending Harvey Weinstein, which is in the tradition of John Adams. Dan, Dan Henninger writes about what is happening there, this idea that a microaggression, uh, you know, is a crime, that if you say something hurtful, you're doing the wrong thing. And it all comes back, it all comes from Herbert Marcuse. Uh, Marcuse, as uh, Henninger writes, isn't a household name, Um but he was the guy who basically put forward the theory that conservative thought can and should be silenced. Uh, he called this liberating tolerance. He said liberating tolerance would mean intolerance against movements from the right and toleration of movements from the left. Certain things cannot be said, certain ideas cannot be expressed, certain policies cannot be proposed. We have n- There's no reason for us to support Harvard or Claudine Gay or people who shout for the extermination of Jews in the, on the principle of free speech. These are people who are using the principle of free speech in order to shut down free speech. The Iowa State House, in the Iowa State House, they allowed an, uh, the Iowa Satanic Temple to put up a Satan display uh, in the name of freedom of religion. And someone, there was a goat statue, and someone uh, has been arrested for damaging the goat statue because it was satanic, right? And... Iowa lawmakers, even on the right, said, no, no, this is freedom of religion. This is freedom of religion. It's not. It's not, right? Our country, you know, the, the government cannot say how you worship God. And it cannot say that you can't be an atheist. And it can't say that you can't be a Satanist but it does not have to include, under freedom of religion, Satanism. Satanism is not a religion. A religion is a way of worshiping God, the creation of nature, which we know from our Declaration of Independence and the giver of our rights. We actually do have a God. We don't have an established church. We don't have an establishment of religion, but we do have a God. And for most of our history, at least until 1850, I think it would be, a state could have an established religion. The idea of the First Amendment was that the, the federal government should not make a law regarding an establishment of religion, but a state could have an established religion. There is no reason for the Iowa State House to include a satanic um, exhibit on the basis of freedom of religion. Just like there's no reason to allow people to call students to call for the. The extermination of the Jews without being expelled on the basis of free speech—that's not who these people are about. We know who they are. We know who these people are. We know what they want. They are just as bad. They're as bad as people like Alex Jones say they are. They're just not as powerful, and they're not as many of them as Alex Jones says they are, and is not as organized as they says says they are. But who are we? Who are we going to be? How are we going to win? I mean, just on on strategy. How are we going to win? This is the battle of our time. The battle for information is the battle of our time. The left knows it. We're just catching on. The battle for the culture, the battle of our time. The left knows it. We're just catching on. We cannot beat them by being them because the only thing we have on them, the only power we have against them is that they're them. They're scurrilous. They're hateful. They're mean. They're small. They're bigoted. We cannot be that. We have to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And then, and then people will flock to us. And then, so help me, we will win and much faster than you think. Final chapter, the world is too much with us. So I just want to end here by taking a look at what media, which is the issue, the internet and the iPhone that makes it pervasive what it's done to us what does it do to people you know there's obviously a mental health crisis going on and it's very strong among young people a lot of suicidal ideation a lot of depression a lot of dysfunction all this stuff of this transgender you know induced mental illness stuff um, Teen depression doubled between 2011 and 2021. One out of three teen girls in the US is seriously considered suicide. Uh, US Surgeon General Vivek Murthy has described adolescent mental health as the crisis of our time. And psychologist uh, Jean Twenge on her substack has been arguing, she's been arguing for years, that these trends spike in 2012, which is when the iPhone became pervasive among young people. Now, that's an intri- I, I believe that. I believe that that is uh, very strong, it, the iPhone and the way it made online, your online life and your life one thing, uh, very powerful um, source of mental illness. But the interesting thing about that explanation is it's an explanation without content in a way, because it's not the fact of the iPhone. It's not the plastic of the iPhone. It's what's coming out of the iPhone, and that's still an open question. I mean, it's not a bad thing that t- teens can look up a quote from Shakespeare and find out what it is. It's not a bad thing that they can test their parent, text their parents to tell them they'll be home late for supper. Those are those are good things that the iPhone does. Uh, but it's doing something bad, and then the, that the question is what? What is it about the internet that has made so many people so crazy, including people on the right? I don't think anybody is um, immune to it. And when you're looking for answers to things like that, it is very simple to take whatever it is that bothers you and say, well, that's the cause. I don't like feminism, so I would say, oh, it's feminism. I believe in God, and I think that if we lose our faith, the country's going to collapse. So I'll say, well, it's because the iPhone is spreading atheism. But, you know, that that doesn't really hold together because there were plenty of uh, unhappy people before feminism— When people believed in God, there was plenty of atrocities and cruelties and misery. Uh, These are not the things that I think are different about this moment. There's one thing the internet does, though, undeniably, that it brings into your life, into your home, into your mind with a new power that it never quite had before. It brings into your mind the world the values of the world, and the values of the world are always the lowest common denominator of human desire. William Wordsworth wrote a great poem about this in the 1800s. It starts, the world is too much with us, late and soon, getting and spending. We lay waste our powers, little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away. Getting and spending. That's what the world is about. The world is about your lowest desires. Sex, good example. I was reading a really fascinating piece in First Things magazine um, about about ma- masturbation. It was about masturbation. And this woman was saying, a writer named Patricia Snow, was talking about how the word sex, which is, was traditionally understood as a shorthand for actual sexual intercourse between a man and a woman, was repurposed as sex became sort of a demystified was repurposed to cover every kind of masturbatory substitute. She writes If sex is about the self rather than the intimate congress of a heterosexual couple, then why not strip the word of its long standing physical implications? Why not have phone sex, gay sex, sex with life size dolls, and so on? No one says, for example, my girlfriend and I masturbate while we watch each other on dress on our separate screens. Instead, they say we have sex online. The world is not selling you sex. She's right about this. The world is not selling you sex. It's selling you masturbation. It's selling you something that isolates you, that turns your mind inward, that makes that has made impotence among young men skyrocket. It used to be like 1% when I was a young man. That was not your problem, impotence when you were young. But now it's something like 30% and more of young men are having this problem because. They are involved in what they think is sex, what they call screen sex or porn sex, but is actually masturbation. The world sells you the idea of itself as being valuable, the idea that the love of the world is worthwhile. You have to have likes. You have to have fame. People, I, I hear people say things like, what do you know? You only have four followers. What do you know? you know? Look at the world around you. Look at the world around you. Look at the people who are famous. Look at the people who are elevated. You know, how many, how many followers do you think Jesus or Socrates would have had? Do you think they would have had more followers than Taylor Swift? You know, the world is selling you itself. People, a lot of people say to me, you know, you're underrated. And I think, I don't think I'm underrated at all. I think I'm exactly where I ought to be. People who know, listen... People who don't know don't listen. I don't expect them to. The only reason I have, I mean, I have a good audience. I have, you guys are a sizable audience and I appreciate it. But that's mostly because Jeremy knows how to promote me. I would never have thought to promote myself because that's not who I am. I'm not just an act of God. I'm an act of God King. You know, and the fact that, that the people, so many people are listening to me. Is a miracle, as it is, in fact, an act of God and of God King. But the kind of person who's going to work all the time at promoting himself is not the kind of person you want to be listening to. That is what the world tells you. The world tells you that likes matter, that fame, which a friend of mine once defined as the love and appreciation of people you don't know or respect, right? You know, so the, the idea then becomes that you have to do big things, Right. You have to do big things. You have to save the world. You know, you have to, it's climate change. Oh, climate change. That's a that's a terrible, terrible thing. They just, that big UN climate summit in Dubai just announced that 200 companies have signed on to tra- transitioning from fossil fuels. They're not going to do anything. The Wall Street Journal compared that to the 1928 Kellogg-Briand-Pack outlawing war. <laughs> Worked great, you know. It's like, these are, we have big things. We have to do big things instead of Doing your job, paving your roads, getting the homeless off the street cutting taxes, making it so people can run their businesses and build buildings and have shops and houses and marriages and raise their kids without you getting in the way. There's a really long and interesting piece in The Economist about how it's called When the New York Times Lost Its Way by the former Times editorial page editor James Bennett. And he talks about the fact that reporters used to feel that they would get the facts and that would equip you to make decisions. But now they know better than you. They know what right and wrong is they don't trust you anymore and you voted for donald trump and you're deplorable they don't want to tell you the facts they don't want to have you uh give you the facts and hope that that makes you uh moves you to make the world more just no they want to tell you how to make the world more just they are not doing their jobs they're doing the big thing that's what the world wants you to do the big meaningless things because the world the one thing the world knows the world's not going to change the world is not going to change. War is not going away. Fossil fuels is not going away. Lies aren't going away. Power is not going to stop corrupting people. All those things are going to stay the same forever until Jesus comes again. Those things are going to be what the world is like. So if you're working to change the world, you are wasting your time. But if you're doing your job, you will change the world for the better. You remember that bumper sticker, good girls don't make history? That's right, Stalin makes history, Hitler makes history. Good girls make children, good girls make homes, good girls make places that anchor everyone into a set of values and responsibilities and traditions that civilize them and make a society for as long as it lasts, a better place to be. The Babylon Bee, the second funniest satire on the internet, Uh, gave its person of the year award to Taylor Swift. Uh, I'm sorry, they answered time giving his person of the year award to Taylor Swift. The Babylon Bee gave their person of the year award to this housewife you've never heard of who loves her kids and does her best. Amen, right? That's where, that is where good things are done. If you do your job, if you're a reporter, tell us, report the facts. If you're a mom, raise your kids. If you're a dad, raise your kids and support your mom. You know, do all that stuff. Do your job. Tell the truth. Build your inside, your internal world, and you will have a good effect on the people around you. And that good effect will fade because everything fades. But the world is always with us late and soon. And that, I think, is what is driving people insane and what is eating at our polity, is eating at our free uh, country. It's it's the world. It's the, it's the Values of the world, which are crap values. Remember Rudyard Kipling's poem, If, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. That's how you become a man, by not caring too much about what the world thinks. That describes somebody who is, knows himself, who's working on his soul. The iPhone is not the problem in and of itself. The iPhone is the problem because there's a little doorway through which the world and its values pour in until you care about likes, until you care about changing the world, saving the planet, until you care about, uh, you know, having sex with an image on a screen instead of having intimate, uh, you know, Intercourse with somebody you love and somebody you're committed to for life. That is the problem. This is what I mean when I say we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth, that we have to take care of ourselves, our souls, our hearts, before we can do anything or while we're doing everything. That is the way we are going to take back the information field by being that very, very special piece of information, which is the truth. <music> Lavin Clapbacks.
3: I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the freaking frogs gay. Do you understand that? Turn the, turn the freaking, freaking frogs off. gay. Boom, oh, oh, crap.
0: Yeah! <laughs> Poor Brian Stelter. He's probably hiding under his bed with his teddy bear. All right, this one, this guy has to be anonymous. He says, I really like a lot of your books. No wonder he wants to be anonymous. It's shameful. He says, I've read or listened to about 17 or 20 of them and really enjoyed them, but I have noticed that with the exception of your books that are directed more at teenagers, your protagonists are often guilty of very serious sins, while the women characters are pristine angels. Not every man has cheated on his wife like in Werewolf Cop or True Crime or spent time uh, not being remorseful for their actions at all, like in Identity Man or the Cameron Winter series or... Um, another kingdom. I really like these books. I can relate because I have to suppress my natural man and I understand what could lead to those actions. But why can't a male hero just have flaws that they control in general? Why does it feel like men are garbage and women are angels in all these books? First, I have to take issue with this women are angels in all these books. Almost none. I I I can't, I mean, I have some women who are good wives and I admire good wives and good mothers and I so, I write them with affection, I'm sure. But most of the women in my books are prostitutes. Almost, you know, they're either prostitutes or they're cheats or they're bullies uh, or they're femme fatales. I mean, most of the women in my books are not nice people. Uh, some of the good guys have good wives. Like that tends to happen. Uh, but, but no, I don't think that's true. And what I do is because most of my lead characters are men. I write them honestly, and men struggle with all kinds of things, including uh, a powerful sexual urge and powerful ambitions that cause them to want to do the wrong thing. And that's just Mm -hmm. the way men are. And so I'm just being honest about that. But I I do deny the idea that my women are angels. That's right. Go back and look at them. Uh, All right. Uh, Dear Mr. Clement, I want to thank you for your podcast, for your books, and for the books of your son and daughter. I recently finished Christmas Carol and found it delightful. My wife is enjoying it now. I'm presently reading How to Save the West by Spencer, uh, and I found this to be a profound work. As soon as I finish, I'll start The House of Love and Death. I immensely enjoyed the other Cameron Winter novels. Uh, Last Saturday, I watched uh, Lady Ballers. The film was funny and certainly had a good message. However, the scenes of bondage and sadism, masochism, were unnecessary to the point of the the movie. I certainly could not recommend the movie to my teenage grandchildren. I would like to hear your perspective on my complaint from Mario. Uh, You know, again, it was a sex comedy. It had sexual jokes, the jokes. You know, I would would object to a movie that showed S&M as being elevating or being satisfying. But instead, it was making fun of the character who was involved in it. It was showing it as being degrading. It was showing it as being masturbatory. And I think that was funny. And you gotta make, you have to be allowed, artists have to be allowed to depict the human condition. And sex is a very powerful part of the human condition. So I I think, you know, when you when you say that people can't do this stuff, you hobble artists. You make it impossible for them to create art. And that's why the right uh, flounders so much about this stuff. from Ivy, I know all these are about my work, but that's what we got this week. Uh, Dear Mr. Clavin, I missed your live show on Friday because I couldn't put down the house of love and death. I went back and watched your show after I finished the book. Where do you get your ideas? Is there a process you always use to come up with ideas? Or is it just an idea comes to you out of the blue? I'll be awaiting the release of the next in the series. Uh, you know, writers are always asked that, and they, and they tend to make fun of um, the people who ask it because, like, you know, I don't know why. I don't know why anybody should know that. My answer is this, you become a writer because you have ideas, because you see the world and understand the world in terms of stories. Stories are tools for communicating the abstract inner life from one person to another. You cannot describe the inner life except through stories, through paintings, through music. Uh, And if you are just a person born with talent, born with a gift, these stories come into your mind. If I didn't have stories to tell, believe me, I would have gone into a much safer profession. Uh, People who say, I want to write a book, but I don't know where to start." Don't do it because you know where to start. If you're a writer, uh, that's that's just the way it works. So the ideas come to you. It's obviously something in the mind that sees the world in terms of stories and captures little things and turns them into stories. It's it's just part of the uh, the mechanism. Become a member today. We're going over to member block. You want to be there. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code CLAVEN at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Remember that Spencer and Faith and I will be doing a Christmas special this week. Please send your questions to CLAVEN CLAPAX at dailywire.com. We'll be glad to answer them all. Members to member block, non-members, CLAVENless Eternity.